Blog Talk Radio. listeners to Art Fair Radio. This is Connie Mettler of ArtFairInsiders.com, a social networking site for artists and publisher of ArtFairCalendar.com, the place to find the nation's best art fairs. Today's show is a special podcast in support of our fifth annual Pledge Drive, our annual fundraiser to support our websites and newsletters, whose mission it is to bring people to art fairs to support the creative people they meet there. It is also a celebration of five years of our groundbreaking social networking website, ArtFairInsiders.com, that exists to bring artists across the country together to share stories and information on earning a living at the nation's art fairs. If you like our websites, our videos, or our podcasts, please support us by pledging at ArtFairCalendar.com. Just click on the birthday cake. It is quick and easy, and we appreciate it. Later in the show, we will be taking your phone calls. Here is that number, 805-243-1338, Usually this show is an hour long, but I've added 30 minutes to the schedule in case we have callers waiting. I hope this is okay with my guests. All right, guys, time for Art Fair Radio. Our fair business is full of ups and downs, financial woes, and big sales, and something new around every corner. And that is part of the allure of our business. In March, one of the nation's premier juried art festivals, feeling its own financial woes, made a change in its plans, expanding from 300 to 450 exhibitors. Today's guests are here to talk about what happened in Bayou City, the Art Festival in Houston. Welcome to Art Fair Radio, Susan Fowler, Executive Director of the Art Colony Association. So pleased to have you join us, Susan. Hi, thank you very much for having us. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Did, did you did you hear all that introduction? Yes. Susan? Oh, good, because I just pushed the wrong button again, and I thought, oh, no, I was afraid I had (laughs) muted myself. That's the way it goes, right? It's a a crazy business. We can (laughs) think we know what we're doing, and we never know. Well, Susan, welcome to the Art Fair business. How long have you been in the business? Thank you. I've been the executive director of the Bayou City Art Festival shows uh, since November 20th. (laughs) Okay. And our our show was my first show. Your first show, well, not, no longer a virgin. All right. And our other guest is Kelly Kindred, an old friend of the art fairs who is Director of Operations at Bayou City. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Connie. Nice to have you join me today. Great to hear, hear your voice again. So, Susan and Kelly, you've just been through probably some of the more interesting months in your lives. 
what a firestorm you created at this long-running festival. I'm so pleased to have you join us to get behind the scenes and get some answers for our audience. Susan, so now you, had, you joined the uh, Art Colony Association in November. What is Art Colony Association? The Art Colony Association is the parent company. It, it's the 501c3 nonprofit that created and produces both of the Bayou City Art Festivals as well as other art initiatives in the city of Houston. And Susan, how did you get involved with uh, the Art Colony? Well, Art Colony is, and the Bayou City Art Festivals, which originally started out as the Westheimer Art Festival, have been running for 43 years. I'm from Houston. I grew up here. And so I, uh, I participated since I was a young kid, <laughs> if you will. I grew up with the festival and the street festival. Ultimately, when it switched over and became the Bayou City Art Festival and became a fine, juried, premier art festival and uh, moved, um, I stayed with it. And as I moved through my career, um, I became a supporter financially and, and um, was a friend and volunteer. So I, I've been involved in a lot of different ways over the years, and it sort of culminated in coming on board as the executive director. Okay. Um, Kelly, How now we know that you, you were the former executive director Give us a little bit of your history with this organization. Um, well, I've been with the organization since June of 2008, so that's been six years. And I really Kelly, Kelly, you are you are echoing. Uh, you you are echoing. Can you do something a little different? Okay, yeah, go ahead. Know, let me call you back on a different phone. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Um, well, Susan, so so you're executive director, and but you have been involved uh, with the the board of directors of Art Colony. Yes, um, I I was a member of the board last year, and um, and then I left the board in order to come on board as the executive director. My background is. Um, film and television production, large-scale live events. I've been doing that as a career for about 25 years, and so um, I specialize in finance and operations. And um, my first festival as a board member was last fall, um, the downtown festival in which we had torrential rain, and uh, the festival ended up closing, actually, because of the rain. And... um, you know, as a board member, we have fiduciary responsibilities, and so one of the things that we had to take a hard look at was, um, you know, what happens when you experience a festival that has to close because of that amount of rain? You you end up in a deficit situation because you anticipate patrons coming and buying and having a great festival, and, and that's not the situation we found ourselves in last fall. And so one of the things I did was took a look at the budget based on my background and made, you know, recommendations on how we could um, move the money around, you know, make, we made about $300,000 in administrative cuts. We 
Um, we changed our staffing situation so that we could give more support to the office, um, which I think is what you were um, you were just asking Kelly. I think she's back on board now. Um, you know, Hi, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Um, I, you know, I think you were asking Kelly what her experience was, and so we can go back to that now because that's kind of a good place to go back to it because Kelly and I worked really closely together when I was on the board, and we had a really good uh, friendship, partnership, mentorship situation already happening, and so there was just good good communication between us in terms of, you know, what was happening with the festival and some of the recommendations that could be made um, to make some changes to keep moving forward with the festival. Okay. Okay, Kelly, how, how are you going to sound this time? I, I hope better. Is this better? You do. <laughs> okay, great. Okay. Um, yeah, so I've been with the organization for six years, and I've I started out uh, as the festival coordinator, and um, moved my way up the ranks, and then in 2011, when the previous executive director left about a month before the downtown festival, I was asked to step in as interim director, and a lot of the decisions for that show had already been made, and then I uh, actually joined the organization as the executive director in uh, November of 2011 after that show, uh, and was in that position until we brought Susan in. Okay. And so now you, um, so Susan sounds like she's handling the real the business part of it, the books and the finance, fiscal responsibilities. And Kelly, you are handling. Tell me what your 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 role is. <laughs> uh, don't Everything else. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I mean, the, the truth of the situation and how Susan ended up being the executive director is that. You know, we had a very, very, very small staff, and we had a really very motivated board. Um, the board of directors had been – there had been a lot of the same people on it. I think we're going to talk about this more um, in later questions, but there had been a lot of people on the board um, that had been there for a long time, and the organization knew – that, you know, in order to stay relevant and fresh, that we needed new blood, also to reach out to other demographic areas of the city and things like that. And so we had this, like, newly um, engaged board that came from, you know, people that had been great volunteers and supporters of the festival, and they were really ready to take it and make it to the next level. And there was a bandwidth issue because I was doing what – ended up being four jobs. You know, there was the executive director role, um, but I was also running all of the the festival logistics and things like that, and also doing development and sponsorship, and also doing uh, the director of marketing position. And, you know, in order for us to really grow in those areas, it it, the board wanted me to be able to do more than I could, and I was already working a lot of hours. So then mm-hmm. they realized that there was a bandwidth issue. So mm-hmm. Susan came in, and she's great. Um, I actually, uh, you know, kind of had a lateral move in, over to director of operations where I could focus more on the implementation of things um, and 
Susan could work more on strategic vision, on the business aspect of things, on like high-level relationships with the city and Houston Arc Alliance, which is a big. Um, they distribute hotel occupancy tax in the city of Houston, among many other things. And so, um, you know, bringing Susan in, I'd already kind of asked asked her to mentor me, you know, and because I could see that, you know, um, I was having trouble enacting some change as far as, um, you know, when the Rainy Day Fund, when we had that festival that had, well, we had four out of five festivals that had rain at one point. And um, so anyway, I was just really excited to work with her. And, you know, I'm glad to be working with the, the artists more now. But my role since Susan joined November 20th has been a lot of, because we've, there's just been a lot of systemic change. I've been training a lot of people. Um, we've been working through a lot of different things, just, you know, helping the new marketing director understand her role, helping, you know, Susan understand the ins and outs of the festival, like introducing people, just all the kinds of things that happen when organizations grow. So Okay, so... So it makes so that I understand the lateral move now. It, you needed to divide up some of those jobs, and you took the one that works best for you, and she took the one that works best for her. Is that basically what it sounds like, right? Yeah, you went exactly. to your own your best skills. Okay, all right. So, so here's the deal. So we're all in shock when um, the show got larger. So what happened this year that suddenly you need the decided to add 300 more? artists in a city as wealthy as Houston where there are jobs and it's a very dynamic growing community what happened there Susan that um, this kind of this happened this, this decision needed to make was made you know it's it's really interesting to me because you know a lot of focus gets put on the addition of 150 artists <laughs> luckily it wasn't 300 but um, um, and I and I think that that takes it out of context a little bit. Um, I, I know that that's the focus that the artists have because of the concerns that they have about sales and their livelihood. But the the growth to add artists from our side was really more part of a comprehensive plan of changes and. It was it was something we didn't take lightly. We we considered it. We tried alternative things, um, you know, for a while to get to where we needed to be. Um, but ultimately, we needed like five areas of change to happen. The um, you know the the, the business model for this festival and and probably a lot of other festivals is bring a great group of people together who are inspired to do an art festival, bring together patrons who love art and art festivals, and hopefully they're buyers, not just visitors, you know, bring together great artists. And that that takes time, it, it takes commitment, and it takes money. And you can go about raising the money that you need as a nonprofit to put on that kind of program through a lot of different ways. You can do major sponsorships, title sponsorships, you know, a lot of other smaller sponsorship levels. 
Um, you can do grants, you know, from foundations willing to support art, independent artists, the art community. Um, you know, you can raise money through attendance. Um, and, you know, you have some costs that come through, you know, the rental of the spaces from the artist. Um, so we changed in every single one of those areas. We went after $100,000 sponsorship levels. We have hired a grant writing expert who is out there right now writing grant, you know, requests for foundations that could, you know, that can give us more support. Um, but grant writing and sponsorship take time. You have to build relationships. You have to pull up the paperwork. You have to do it within certain deadlines for certain years. Um, that's a real skill set, and um, it's it's a two-year plan it's, or a five-year plan. It's not an immediate, um, you know, you, you don't realize your efforts immediately. Um, you can cross your fingers and hope that it doesn't rain and count on traditional attendance records. And in our case, that's 25 or 30,000 people. When we had torrential rain last year, you know, instead of having 25,000 people come through the gate, we had seven. You can't do that. That's, that's not a sustainable business model to cross your fingers because it could rain every single time. Yeah. And if you don't have a rainy day fund or if you don't have rain insurance, which is not a, is not a real option, rain insurance for outdoor festivals is not um, – It's it, not it, reliable. It's, thank you, Kelly. Yeah, I mean, it's hit it, or miss whether or not you could actually get paid on that insurance if you insure oh. the festival. So – so that leaves, you know, what can you do that creates a marketing campaign, drives people to the festival, and assures that you have enough um, balance in your model to have guaranteed revenue? And finding that balance across all of those fields is what's important. The addition of 150 artists was one piece of that five-piece pie. So it, the the five pieces are uh, look, looking for sponsorships, foundation, growing the attendance, artist spaces. So I'm missing one of the five. Oh, sorry, and and food and beverage sales. Which food and beverage oh, right, sales is right, dependent right. upon? Yeah, and that's con- a p- attendance, attendance, right? Right. Mm-hmm, right. Right. Okay. Okay. So that's the five, and you are pr- pursuing all of those. Okay. Um, it seems like in the past, uh, didn't you? You had some title sponsors, and you did not have one this year. Is that correct, Kelly? Um, well, actually, the title sponsorship that Capital One Bank uh, yes. used to have that went away a while ago. And the reason that oh. they no longer sponsored our organization is they moved from uh, having a local rep in the Houston area that um, understood the the priorities of Houston and um, what people in Houston like to do, they moved to a more regional approach based out of Dallas, which um, is, you know, another world away, about four hours away. And, I mean, I grew up in the area. Uh, and they, the, the rep that they hired uh, 
both of the people that they hired to represent that area both had backgrounds in sports marketing, so they very strongly uh-huh. went with sports marketing and uh, transferred over to like the Shell Houston Open and uh, things like which is a golf tournament. Um, and mm-hmm. you know uh, larger like football, baseball sponsorships as opposed to and largely they I mean uh, they got out of all of the like they no longer sponsored the art car parade either so they um, okay retracted from the arts organization so okay so there's that also that thing a sponsor who maybe you're, you're sponsored this year but another year uh, someone else is handling that account and they might like to direct the money someplace else so it's not dependable correct no it's no, no. There's no guarantees in sponsorship whatsoever. Okay. All right. Well, I we worked on events in Detroit, right? so I have watched the car companies come and go sponsoring events. So I, I certainly know have seen that. So okay. Go on. Yes. Susan? Oh, sorry. I was just going to say while we while we lost our title sponsor, um, we were successful in adding a lot of smaller sponsorships. I mean, right. you know, in um, in the short term. You know what can you accomplish with a three-month window to try to raise new right. sponsorships, and and we were successful at raising new five-thousand-dollar sponsorships, ten-thousand-dollar mm-hmm. sponsorships. Um, you know, uh, we started new relationships with company like Verizon, Microsoft. So okay. we've started so, down the path of new corporate sponsorships, but th- again, it's about a two-year window to grow organically. So did, were these you know, were these initiatives not going on? Previously, no, they were, uh, and we had okay. already, you know, we we'd already uh, shorn up some other areas, shored up some other areas of sponsorship um, that to replace the Capital One Bank sponsorship. Um, it, so there was like a misconception that we lost a big sponsor this okay. festival. No, right. we didn't lose a big sponsor this festival. And in as much as I could possibly do as one person, it was Mm -hmm. happening. But um, we'd also, yeah. Yeah, okay, I got it. Okay, so... So here's here's the big big thing that um, we... So... The application deadline for so or I'm really concerned about the artists, but but all these other things the artists need to know about all the other financial things because that's important too because all of those things support the show that supports their livelihoods. So, um, when did it become apparent to you that you were going to have to make these um, this this jump in the number of exhibitor booths? The first thing that happened was, again, we had a brand new board. They were motivated. Um, it had been the first real change in the board in about 23 years. Each one of those new board members brought new relationships to the table. And so the very first effort we made, November, December, and January, was each one of those board members went out to um, friends and foundations and corporate sponsors that they uh, had relationships with, and we went for it. I mean, we were asking for, you know, $100,000 title sponsorships. Um, again, the feedback that we got from that effort is, let's let's start talking. Let us come to the festival. Let us see what it's all about. Let us learn about you and your organization. We're committed to other sponsorships this year, but sponsorships are possible in 2015, 2016. So, that all got rolling, but mm-hmm. by January, 
we knew that um, that outreach effort for large title sponsorships uh, was not going to come through in time for this festival. So Fiscal the years, old board they, was retired. Mm-hmm. The the old board retired in December. The new board was seated in January, voted and seated in January, and the very first business meeting where we could talk about what do you do if you have not been successful in raising, um, you know, enough money to make sure that the festival can pay the bills um, through sponsorships, through grants, you know, you you can't count on the weather, you know, what um, – what can you do to ensure that we can still have this festival, you know? And mm-hmm. the the biggest thing that we could do was to approve uh, increased marketing. We, we increased our marketing to almost $250,000. Um, we decided that you can either close or you can survive or you can thrive. And we decided to thrive. We, we moved uh, money into the marketing campaign. We went from zero to four in-house marketers who specialize in different areas of approach. The biggest thing the board's concern was you can't just add artists. If you add artists, you have to at least have the patronage that you are used to having, which is around 25,000, 30,000 people. But ideally, you would grow the patronage to – 40,000 or 50,000 and and over the next 2 to 5 years we would really we think that the Houston market has enough money in oil and gas. We are a very strong economy in the United States right now. One of the strongest economies in the I United know. States right now. <laughs> I'm in Michigan. We, we I, we're have, all jealous. We're all moving to Texas, right? <laughs> so, I mean, we have uh we have one of the largest theater communities in the United States. Um, we have the second largest number of seats to New York City. We have um, we're at the you know, we have the most world headquarters for oil and gas corporations in the United States and some say in the world. We I mean, there is a lot of money. Um, there um, there's a lot of culture here that, you know, there's a lot of people willing to give so that's that is so that's where that's where you're going after you feel like there is a that base in Houston you've got all these arts organizations and you are directing yourselves toward them but there's been a lag right so one okay, one well, of the questions that somebody asked you have to make asked, some dynamic changes to engage them like we plateaued mm-hmm. at thirty thousand people for twenty years how do you get mm-hmm. past that thirty thousand hump you've got to do something big something different something you know, that gets the imagination going, like, we are really doing things different, better music, better food, a, a better footprint, um, you know, you know, amazing artists. We're allowing more artists to come. That was what our intention was. And then market it like crazy. <laughs> and if you – if you're marketing to the right people, we should be able to have in Houston, I don't know about other markets, but in Houston, a city of 5 million people, fourth largest city, with all of that, with a huge medical base, huge oil and gas, huge banking and finance, a huge port, 
a, a thriving cultural community, you know, with a lot of diversity, there's no reason this community cannot sustain 100,000 patrons who are buyers. And, and the okay, important part right. is not just 100,000 people, but buyers. Yes, the buyers. Okay. Well, okay, so I, I got that. It sounds like, and this is, of course, one of the reasons why you, you surely don't want to give up. You've got the infrastructure. And I actually had an artist ask me at, at one, to, to know if you did any type of demographic research on the numbers of showgoers and the sales of artists for the last few years that would lead you to suppose that your show could support such a drastic increase in the artists accepted. And basically, you're giving me, not that, that you didn't necessarily do demographic research, but you, are, you put your finger on all that, didn't you? You, you see you are a plateaued, and you look at your economics of your community, and now you're going to do something about it, is basically. That's what I'm hearing. Right? Yes. Okay. Okay, take a second here. This is, I want to remind everybody, that it is Pledge Drive time at Art Fair Insiders. Please go to one of our websites, Art Fair Calendar, Art Fair Insiders, Art Show Reviews, callsforartists.com, and click on one of the birthday cakes because you are learning things here that you can't get anyplace else. We're the people. We're your people. You know we are. Okay. All right. So, so okay. So here's 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 the I I many people calling me in emails when they heard I was going to do this. And this seemed to be the peak of the problem. One of the reasons, the main reasons that the, uh, the artists were unhappy was it came to be known that you decided to increase the size of the show and started calling people from the wait list without telling the accepted artist or telling the people you were calling that the show size was being increased. Not only was this a breach of contract, but they felt it was duplicitous and that they couldn't trust your event anymore. So who would like to address that? Why, why is that true that that is what happened, that um, you, you started um, calling people without letting the word out? Kelly? Kelly? Um, yeah, I... I'm trying I, to remember. Yeah, I'm trying to remember too. I mean, because there's of the way so you phrased the question, I'm trying. I want to make sure we answer. Oh right. Okay. Basically, yeah. what 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 they said to me was that people were um, had been accepted. You were past your deadline, right? You'd been through your jurying, and then you started calling people from the wait list to fill the show because you wanted to make it larger. And the artists who had already been accepted did not know that you were doing this, and the people who were being called didn't know that they were part of an enlargement of the show. And I want to I know that, that you feel like you, you can do the 450, but I want to tell you, and I'm sure you know this, and I know you know this, but artists have seen this happen across the country. Suddenly, show directors decide, oh, there's room for 50 more. There's room for 100 more. And suddenly, what was once a wonderful show is gone. They've seen this happen in Ann Arbor. They've seen it happen in, at, at Coconut Grove. They've seen it happen. I, I, don't, I don't 
many other places too. At oh, St. Louisville, St. James Court. I mean, it just goes on and on. The show people think that they can make it larger, and the artists feel like they're being used. So that's that's kind of why the artist community is dwelling on this number. They are fearful, very, very fearful, because they respect your show and have in the past. So I talked, and now I need answers. Now I need to know what you have to say. Well, um, I don't, I think on our part, once the board met in February, you know, um, took a look at the overall picture, um, you know, considered the impact for patrons, the impact for the show, and and the impact for the artist. I'll say this. I mean, we talked about the fact that um, there might be some people concerned about the size of the show growing. I mean, we clearly anticipated that there might be some people who prefer to go to smaller shows because, you know, Kelly advised us that that's the case, you know, that there are some artists who just prefer uh, smaller shows. Um, you know, I, I think we probably did some math. You know, we said, well, okay, out of 300 artists, we have a lot of artists who call afterwards and, and ask questions about, you know, I, I'm so surprised. You know, I didn't get in. I really want in. I'm so glad I'm on the wait list. You know, if there's any openings, can we please come? And we followed the jury. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think we probably – did some percentages probably and said, well, if we expand, you know, we might have 30 people that wanted 30 or 40 people. That's probably high, you know, maybe 20 or 30 people that it's, you know, maybe want a refund. And so we're we're going to expand. We're going to offer a refund. We had been floating the idea locally. We had... Uh, we had told people that it was an option. Um, we had told our marketing department that it was an option. We had told SAP that it was an option on the table. Um, you know, as as one of the things that we were looking at, we didn't know if it was going to happen in the spring or the fall or in the future, but, you know, we're, we're definitely look, taking a hard look at what changes do we need to make to to increase our marketing and increase our patronage and just make the show relevant again, you know, make it viable again and give the audience something new and fun to think about and to come to. Um, so, yes, we, as soon as the board voted, we decided to notify um, people right away because there was, probably about, it was a 30-day window until the festival. And so we wanted to make sure that, you know, people on the wait list, you know, if they were going to be able to come, they needed notice. And so we notified ZAP. We notified the people on the wait list. And I don't know that we, because, you know, looking back, you can now say, well, didn't you anticipate this big backlash? And the answer is no, we really didn't. <laughs> so, no, we didn't think that we had to give some kind of special notification to the artists who were already here. We didn't think that we needed to give special notification to the waitlisters. We thought the waitlisters would be happy and they would come. We thought that, I thought, I'll say that, I thought that um, the 
if anyone wasn't happy, they would call us. You would, you know, explain the situation that we're, you know, we're expanding. It's more comfortable. It's the way of the future. Directors need the ability to be flexible, to you know, keep the organizations alive, to keep providing you with the great festival that you expect. You know, we really only saw the positive. That's just the truth. We really only saw the positive. So when you so when you got this backlash, what what did what did you think when you got the backlash? Well, it started like a trickle, and so that didn't surprise me. I was like, okay, we have a couple of people. And the, the very first rumor that was out there that was a rumor and was a misconception that just spread like wildfire was we've expanded and we're not offering refunds if people want a refund. And that could not be further from the truth. The very first phone call we made was to Zap to tell them that we've expanded, we're inviting people from our wait list, and if anyone wants a refund, we're, we're 100%, we're giving refunds. And so the trickle went from people kind of hearing it, and immediately there was this rumor that we were expanding, we weren't offering refunds, and then it went from a sprinkle to a rain to, you know, t- to a full-blown storm. Mm-hmm. And the biggest surprise for me was when people started calling who were not artists, when people started calling who were not part of the festival, when people started calling who were not accepted artists. Again, even if we had a firestorm, you would expect the firestorm to be 300 people because that's how many people are participating in the festival. So if they all were upset and they all went crazy, the biggest number that could be calling you and going crazy is 300 because those are the people affected by Mm -hmm. the festival. And, again, we only thought it was going to be, like, 20 people. And then all of a sudden we were getting hundreds and hundreds and into the thousands of emails. And it really put the entire festival in jeopardy. That was the biggest shock ever. What? Why? Why did it put it in jeopardy? Because we because couldn't you were service the resources. Festival. You were doing. Re- yeah, your resources now. were going to putting out the fires. Is that? That's right. And so now all yeah. of a sudden we were having to uh, answer questions of people that had little to no involvement except for philosophically. You know, why did you do this to those artists? Um, You know, and we were trying our best to communicate and answer all of those questions so it didn't Mm -hmm. look like we were running from it because we weren't. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the meantime, you know, that really took up three critical weeks leading into the festival. And and at one point I said to Kelly, Kelly, if if this doesn't stop – we may have to cancel the festival because right now we can't do anything else. We can't book the vendors. We can't, you know, I have so much work to do. We were working around the clock. I mean, we were answering emails, answering the phones. My entire staff was working till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, every morning, and hitting it again at 6 a.m. We literally worked 120-hour weeks 
to try to put the fires out and make sure that we could actually do the festival that we had just said we were going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was, uh, I, I mean, both sides were really, the, the artists were really upset, and we took that very seriously. And there came a point where we were really upset because we really did not understand why the artists wouldn't see that our side of it, that this is a business <laughs> It has to evolve to stay alive, and we're trying to do this for you, and that was really, really hard. It was really hard. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, yeah, I, I'm sure that it was hard. I, I, what I kept hearing was that you know that they that you had not told the exhibitors that you had made this change. And that you had broken the contract, and you, you hadn't told them, and they felt betrayed. And um, this is just a well, and it, and it makes sense. I mean, this is a very it's a very tenuous business. You know, they're on the road, they're traveling, and they just as much. If you if your show gets rain, you lose all your beverage sales and everything, and your show goes in the red, their show goes in the red too, right? They're in the same boat as you are, just on a different scale, but just as important to them. Their their money woes are matched by, by yours or vice versa. So that, that, was the, that was the real hard thing here, and that they felt, so there, there's that part of it. Okay, so um, Anybody who's listening, I want you to know this is my this is my little pledge here. I'm talking to Kelly Kindred and Susan Fowler at the Bayou City Art Festival, and we're going to fix Bayou City because everybody loves that show. You have great sales in Texas, and you, this has been a real, really nice show. People love your show, and that this is part of the – I think the other thing that people are concerned about is, oh, no, there goes Bayou City – there goes the nation. I mean, I have this. I have this wonderful email from someone who loves your show and as often has had his best show of the year there. And he says to me, "Hi, Connie. I think adding 150 artists will ultimately kill the show. I think the money will be too widely distributed for many artists to have a good show. This will in turn lead to a decrease in quality applications." which I believe will lead to a decrease in attendance. I saw this happen at Uptown. The next year I had a license plate bracelet by sell person next to me. That was my last year there. And then they say, you know, things like, he says, Des Moines, Fort Worth, Cherry Creek, get huge crowds and limit their numbers of artists to 165 or so, 260 for Cherry Creek, keeping them at the top every year. It seems like this is the model that they should follow if you want a great art fair versus a large event. And I talked to a couple people who called me who were at your show today, and I think that is what they are, beyond the fact, the part about that they didn't feel like they were clued in what was going on, what they're really concerned is about a trickle-down, that the show gets too big, the quality goes, you lose your audience, it will take several years, and it will die a slow death, and this wonderful marketplace is not in place. So that those to me are the main concerns that I represent from the artists community. And you're hearing anything you didn't hear before? No, not necessarily. You know, um, one of the things that I want to acknowledge, Connie, is 
this is a really hard business. It's a hard business on both sides. You know, there I I hear sometimes from the artists that they don't understand how hard our jobs are and you know that we are on the road and you know you know I've told tons of artists personally I don't know how you do it. You know, that is, you know, being on the road and setting up a tent every week and but you know it it is a choice to live that lifestyle but yes. you know on and and you know it is a choice and i ha- you know what i do have a job to theoretically to go to every single day and you know i have an office um but you know the thing is that you know i think we're all concerned about the same thing i think we're all concerned about the show the demise of the show and um, you know, we're all concerned about you know, we don't we don't want the show to go away. We are committed to showing to creating the best location possible in Houston for independent artists to come show their wares. And in order to provide that, there are economic realities that we face. Now, somebody mentioned Fort Worth, Cher- you know, Cherry Creek. Well, both of those shows are not gated, and right. uh, they're in very uh, they're in shopping districts. Yeah. And um, you know, I mean, we definitely, you know, I've been to Fort Worth many, many times, and I've been to Cherry Creek twice, and I've had discussions with Cherry and Jay, and I know Susan has met all of them, and. Um, you know, there's a different reality in Houston, which is we don't really have anything comparable here in Houston to either of those areas that we are allowed to use. Mm-hmm. You know, because Houston um, is south, there's because of our really hot summers, we don't have a lot of outdoor areas that have, we don't have a lot of outdoor shopping areas, outdoor malls or things like that. I mean, Cherry Creek is situated, you know, with that mall and that big open shopping area, there's nothing equivalent to either that or Main Street here. So we have to do the best that we can with in the constraints that the city places on us as well. You know, the city of Houston tells us which streets we can use and not use, um, you know, and that we have which parks we can use and not use. Um so, you know, it, it's just all, it's a very um, its a very interesting business. And, you know, we don't, we have a choice. Like Susan said, we had a choice to, you know, shutter and say, okay, you know what, we don't have a rainy day fund anymore, we're done. Or we had a choice to just barely survive or to thrive. And our goal, I think our goals are the same. We, you know, we want to see the, the festival continue to not in a sense of physical size or number of artists but in the number of patrons buying art and the number of patrons attending and in the marketing sense in the life cycle of marketing you know there's this interesting bell curve and you hit a point where you peak you you know you peak and then you start to decline and you have to make some really hard decisions at that point because it's really easy to slide down that bell curve 
and for, you know, so you have to make decisions that then thrust you up into an upward, upward trajectory, and we're, you know, doing absolutely the best that we can uh, to make sure that the show goes that way. Susan, was there anything you wanted to add to that? Well, I think just that, um, I think that their concern is our concern, too. Like, she said the artists are concerned that we've started on the path of the long, slow death. And what I hope is that we've created flexibility, you know, adaptation, you know, a, a willingness to change on the part of the board. And I think that we, you know, we have to evaluate a few times what's happening and, you know, and decide, you know, what do we need to do now? We only we only get to do Memorial Park once a year. And so mm-hmm. this time around, it was successful. It worked. The marketing worked, and we were at capacity, and there's lots of improvements we can make when we're at capacity. But, um, you know, and sales were good for the artists, and the weather was perfect. And so it all cu- culminated in you know, our expectations were met and in some cases exceeded. And, you know, it, it calmed the fears of a lot of the artists who stayed loyal to us because were, there were a lot of artists who were very, very nervous. Like, you know, they had heard all of this concern from the community. They had heard all of the comments, all of the rumors. You know, and they were calling us and saying, you know, oh, my God, I'm loyal. This is one of my best shows. It has to be a good show. I'm coming from Oregon, (laughs) you know. Are you sure? (laughs) Like, should Mm -hmm. I get in the car or should I join the group that canceled, you know? And we're like, please come, please come, please trust us, you know, please give it a chance, you know. Um, But I think we learned. I think we learned a lot about, really how strongly um, committed the artists are to our show, because I don't think that they were just doing it for their own financial viability, although I think that that is a big part of it. I mean, a lot of the comments we heard was, don't touch our show. Like, we love that show. Don't, why are you messing with right. it? <laughs> you know? And mm-hmm. uh, we heard you. We heard that comment. We, we you know, we realized that you know, you are our partner in putting this show on, and so while that that was what I kept hearing that they they that the those shows directors just think we're inter- interchangeable. It's not like you can have this restaurant instead of that restaurant or something like that and instead, but that the customers want quality, and that the guy with the license plate bracelets is not interchangeable with the person who's hand fabricating beautiful jewelry right i mean you you and they were kind of saying that's what i was hearing that you that you didn't know the difference between filling the booth or filling the booth with quality which and, and is i hard. think that we know the difference between filling the booth with quality but i don't think i certainly didn't realize as a new executive director, um, I didn't understand the how strongly the artists felt like they were our partners. I, I yes. 
will say, you know, I felt like they, there's a lot of shows in the country. Um, they get their choice of what shows to attend. To attend. You know, they take a risk being a festival artist. They, you know, there's no guarantee at any show. There's no guarantee no, at a 200-person no. show. There's no guarantee at a 400-person show, a 700-person show, you know, booth show or whatever. So, I mean, that that's one of the risks of, of being an artist, and they try to determine which circuit they want to do and where they have a royalty base and a following and all of that, all of those decisions that I'm sure go into their business-making decisions. But I... I really learned as a new executive director um, just how strongly they felt about this show, and we they do they do they identify yeah. with they identify with shows. My husband and I did shows for a long time. We did the Old Town Art Fair in Chicago for years, and then one year we did not get reinvited. And I tell you, for years afterwards, anytime anyone would mention the name Chicago. I would feel badly because I wasn't at Old Town. You take you take artists own these places and their places there, and they really they those communities mean something to them. It's it's like a portable community, right? Of course it is. Right. So so if anybody so wants to make a, the one thing I want to say to assure people is that the the whole idea is being open to change and even change going the other direction. In in this instance, you know, we moved towards four hundred and fifty artists. You know, we're gonna evaluate that a couple of times because it was a successful model for us. Um, but if we find that that's not the right balance, that that's not good for the artists, that we're not garnering the patrons that we need, if that's not creating the hundred thousand dollar title sponsorship needs that we need to create then we'll change again you know and we'll, well and i did have an artist tell me they would rather that you would have raised the booth fees than increase the number of artists and i actually did see this um several years back uh, the winter park art festival wonderful show it decided they they needed more money and they increased the show by about 50 artists the artists had a fit and they told them raise our booth fees and they raise the booth fees and cut the show back. And you know that's that's another thing. No one, everybody complains about the booth fees for sure, also. But that's that is also something else. This is a really a wonderful market that you have there. Okay, so I got a couple. If anybody wants to call in, I we have I've got a few minutes here. Eight zero five two four three one three three eight. I know a couple people were on hold, and I glossed over you. Give them a call now. We'll take it. Um. So, I. A few questions here. So how many artists did you actually end up with this year? It was a Anybody? little under 430. 430? Mm-hmm. Really? 430, yeah. okay. Um, I guess the other thing that, a couple other things that I just, I want to mention that some of the artists said the the disadvantages of having that big show is that is there only one entrance for the patrons? It's it's such a big loop around they don't ever they can't get around. The other thing was getting big packages out of the park because there's only one exit. Is that is that the layout of your show? So they're so concerned the about those park, certain logistical things. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean Memorial Park is a beautiful setting. I love that festival. I love both of our festivals. 
Um, I feel like Memorial Park is kind of Brigadoon the art festival um, in that you, like, don't feel like you're in, you know, Houston and you're in this wonderful forest and all of a sudden there's this enchanted art festival that pops up and, um, you know, it only happens once a year. And we're the only... There's two large events that are allowed to happen in Memorial Park a year in Houston, two. And the other one is the Rodeo Trail Riders. And so that being said, you know, and we're having a lot of talks with the Memorial Park Conservancy, and they're doing some very long-term master planning right now to look at the long-term use of the park. Okay. You know, talking about it. We've got a caller, Kelly. Let's see see who this is. Someone is calling from the 505 area code. You're on the line. Go ahead. Hi, it's Ronna Katz, and I have a Hi, couple Ronna. of Hi. <laughs> I have a couple of points that I'd like to either have addressed or discussed. One is the gate fee raising. One is uh, having artists, like artist advisors, or people that can help you prevent some of these um, failed, <laughs> failed. Um, execution, it, I guess I wouldn't have a problem with you raising the number of artists if it was not a breach of contract. Like you have every, you have every right to raise and change the scope and mission statement of the art show. The problem was it was after people applied. So people felt like, whoa, I wouldn't have applied to that show. I mean, if, if people got in, they got their booth feedback, but not their jury fee. Now, I wanted to do this show, and I applied in a couple of categories, and I didn't get my, my jury fees back. I never would have applied to an art show that large. So that um, was already addressed in, in part, but, but if you really want to do the right thing, you give people back their jury fee as well. And for artist advisors, there are success. Fort Worth has artist advisors. We are here to make sure things are successful and we know because because I mean like Connie was saying we're in we should be in this together and we feel like you're doing everything to shoot this show and kill it you raised the Bootsy a corner was $600 last year it's $750 this year so you're you're raising the Bootsy you're raising the gate fee instead it would be wonderful to have pre-purchase programs where people are going to come regardless of bad weather. I mean, I can understand the bad weather. You either put the show on a weekend when the, the weather might be better nearby. You either put the show indoors or you create those incentives that are not going to go away. Like there are some shows that have, I just was at Belleville Art on the Square, they have $105,000 of pre-spent, Okay. Okay, Ronna. So, what do you what? Yeah. That that those are always great, great. Those are great suggestions, Kelly. What do you think? Any um, anything well, about the, the artist advisory committee thing? I think is a great idea. That has been on my list of things I've wanted to do for a very, very, very long time. And again, it was a question of bandwidth. Now that we have more bandwidth, that's going to be happening ASAP. Like that was already on my list of things to do. Um, you know, as far as, you know, again, like there are economic realities to putting on an art festival in the city of Houston. The pre-purchase programs, I think those definitely have merit. 
that's definitely something that, again, it was a, an issue of bandwidth. Um, okay, you know. can I just interrupt for a second, Kelly? Can I just interrupt for a second? Sure. I've been doing the show on and off for about, I don't know, eight or ten years. I've made this suggestion every single time. I've written it in emails. I've written it. I've talked to the board members. I've talked to our show directors about, I mean, you know, Kim and, and you. I've talked to you. About. This is something that I feel like falls on deaf ears. I feel like the board is running the show and is making decisions that are not in the best interest of the show, and neither the show nor the artist. And it's all, it's like you're doing everything to ruin the show. I mean, if you want to be an, like a an buy-sell, big, huge art fair, maybe have one event that's more high-end one time of the year and the other more huge and festive and and less art-oriented. I don't know. But what you're doing is not – we we don't like it. <laughs> okay. Okay, Anna, I hear I'm you. take the next I, call. I, Thank you. <laughs> we got it. Thank you very much. And I'm going to take yeah, a and, call now. You know, from... the, the, the thing that I do want to say is, you know, like, there are no ill intentions on anybody's side. Like, we're not trying – we're doing our very, 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 very best, and all of these things are things that have been brought up and considered, and, you know, you have to have people to implement them to be able to do them. I mean, we are out Okay, there's someone's get, we're getting feedback on it from somebody. Somebody at the 832 area code, you've got your radio turned up. I feel like I'm Diane Reeve or something. 832 area code, please turn down your radio. <laughs> Okay. There you are. Would you like to speak? A three two. Oh, am I on? <laughs> yes. Oh, I, yeah. I I did want to. Um, I had a couple questions about the um, plans for the fall event because of the construction downtown. Yes. What was go going ahead. to happen? But what was going to happen on the layout for that? And how We're many things do you the, anticipate? Uh, we're in talks with the city right now, and um, we're, you know, we're taking a, a look at uh, the alternative footprint. Um, you know, traditionally we're sort of in a tic-tac-toe footprint that sort of goes around City Hall and into Sam Houston Park. And one of the options on the table is going uh, down uh, Allen Parkway, which is a successful festival uh, layout here in Houston for other events. So uh, we won't um, – a, a decision won't be made on the footprint for a while, uh, I think until August. Um, and that's not our – that's not fully our doing. Um, a lot of people have to weigh in, as you know, on footprint changes from the fire department. I know, but it's a, little, it's a little bit scary because we just sent our money in for the fall event not knowing – uh, what we're really going to be looking at um, requesting. Well, I think that, um, you know, one of the things that we're uh, committed to is, um, you know, trying to make sure that we meet your needs. You know, so I've I've told Kelly that, you know, um, there are people who need electricity, there are people who need corners, there are people who need double booths. You know, and, well, and the one layout, of the things that so we're really I know trying to last do is year I heard, accommodate that. I heard, excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt, I'm just 
getting feedback on my phone. I'm sorry. Um, okay. What my concern was, uh, there were quite a few artists in Sam Houston Park that had a, a very unsuccessful event, and um, I wanted to see if maybe you were going to eliminate those spaces there this year. Part of the problem with Sam Houston Park, though, what I mean, because a lot of festivals are in parks and and on grass, and um, uh, part of the problem with Sam Houston Park was the torrential rain last year. I mean, you really, it's really hard to describe if you weren't there how much rain there was. I mean, we had. Oh, I live in had, Houston. You know, I live in Houston. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it didn't so rain that know. much. I mean, the, it didn't the, rain the that much in my house. But, and when, uh, yeah, but the uh, they. They didn't know. They just felt they didn't. Even the day it wasn't raining, the traffic around the food area wasn't the best for fine art. That was the complaint because I heard from several artists. Because even when it wasn't raining, the area was just um, had turned into a giant mud pit um, because it was. When it was we, misting. Uh, well, because it had rained so much, I mean, there were there were four inches of rain, so it was. I mean that's why we closed because we we just had to. It just wasn't. Um, unfortunately, I mean it was just one of those festivals out of forty three years where yeah. it, you just you couldn't stay open because there was just okay. either. It was I'm going to take my next caller. I think we, we've okay. we got that Sam Houston right, Park. We don't want to be there. Okay. Okay. I don't Thank you. Thank you. Someone calling from the three zero five area code. Three zero five. Area code, you're on. Uh, hello? 305-582. Got a question? They just want to listen, I guess. All right. So I, we've got a few more minutes. Anybody else has a call? 805-243-1338. We will take your calls. And you at 305 will take yours, too. So, okay, guys. So um, so you're still you're working on the fall. You, you can't can't tell people where they're going to be yet because you don't have your park yet, you don't have your layout, right? And you have, you're waiting for the city to give you information. That's the way I understand it? Yes. Yes. Common yes. Square is under construction, and we've heard varying different things about um, whether or not that will be finished by the time our festival happens. But um, mm -hmm. I've dealt with city construction for several years, and I really don't think if their deadline is anywhere close to our festival, it will be safe on, to count on having that. Um, okay. We do know that we tried Sam Houston Park, and uh, we thought, okay, you know, that didn't really quite work out, but they completely redid Sam Houston Park. And so we tried we tried it again because it was completely redone and that just didn't work again. I mean, it's a, so you it's know, a, it's a continuous, always moving. It's a kind of a business where everything's always changing, right? Nothing is the same. Weather, yeah. parks, layouts, electricity, construction, hurricanes. All right. Uh, I've got someone on the line from calling from the 201 area code. Do you have a question? 201. Um, yes. Hi, this is Bob. Um, this was my first year doing the show, so I have a, a different perspective maybe than people for whom it's been an old and long favorite. And I was satisfied with the results. I was, like many people, disturbed by the sort of changing the game in the middle of the game. 
thing. But um, but I, it's good that, that you're on, you know, that you're going on the phone and online talking about the the what happens behind the scenes that made it necessary. So first, I want to say I really appreciate your making the outreach effort to do that. Um, Thank so that's you. the first thing. You're welcome. And um, the, the second thing is this, and without without going to the level of saying, how can you do this to our show? Because first of all, it's not my show. I just did it once. Um, but I would say this, is as a person who's been doing shows for more than 30 years, I can't tell you how many times we, and I mean artists you know, taken as a, as a community, have seen a dynamic where a show that is successful changes sometimes only one or two um, variables and, and, a, and a, creeping, uh, a creeping loss of quality sets in that's not apparent in the first year or the second year. It's like a few artists don't come this year, a few artists don't come the next year. But after about five years, there's a, there's a real shift in the overall quality of the show. And once that happens, a show never comes back to its, its previous glory. And I'm, and I'm talking about, I, I could, I'm thinking of six, seven, eight shows that I've participated in over the years that I've seen this dynamic take place in. And I think that one of the things that happens is that people on the board and people who are directors of a show only are familiar for the most part with their one show. So they've, you know, when you make a change, you're making an experiment, you're trying things out, but it's often the first time around on that experiment. But as artists, we've seen... 50 different people and 50 different boards experiment with 50 different shows. So that's one of the things, the, the experience that artists can bring to an advisory uh, committee. And I, I'm glad that you're thinking of that as, you're, as you do your next, uh, you know, take care of your next round of business for next year. Yeah, we're absolutely adding a, an artist advisory committee. And, you know, you're right. Like, we do shows twice a year. You guys do shows all year round. And, you know, I always personally try to talk to as many show directors and see as many shows in the year as I possibly can on my own dime. And, um, you know, because I think that that's really important to the success of the business. And, you know, I mean, we are all partners in this together. And, you know, I, I really value the input of the artists. I really value the input of other show directors. And, you know, we're just... The, the interesting part about this business is it's a business where, um, you know, the artists see change as a bad thing sometimes, not necessarily always, but, you know, they they report things. But it's a business where things are always changing, and change is necessary, adaptation is necessary, especially in the economic climate we've been in the last several years. Right. We're just trying to be as adaptable and as flexible as possible. But, yeah, like Susan said, you know, we're open to, you know, just monitoring and making sure that things, you know, are continue to be good. And if it's not, we'll change it. Okay. Well, that's Thanks great. Thanks a lot, Bob. Yep. Thank you. Yep. Thank you for coming to the show, by the way. <laughs> we we appreciate you coming and and supporting the show, and, and we hope you had a good show. All right. Okay, so it's almost time to wind this up. So I've got a few more questions that I would like to know. First of all, I have to tell everybody who's listening, I surely hope you're going to go to cook on one of the birthday cakes and contribute to our pledge drive because this is 
We try to bring you, help you. We all want you to earn a living, and we appreciate so much all you're doing. And these guys, you, this is wonderful, your, your candor today. Okay, so here's what I would like to know. What was the worst thing that happened this year, Kelly? Absolutely, hands down, the email that we received that called all of the women in our office the C-word. <laughs> well. Yeah, I mean, we. It, it's unfortunate that, you know, because there's not, it's not by any means the majority of artists, but, I mean, we were personally being attacked verbally. So that was pretty tough. <laughs> That was pretty bad. When you were doing what you can, okay. And so then, Susan, I'll ask you, what was the best thing that's that's happened? Well, I think the best thing that happened was um, hearing, you know, the reports from the artist um, and the reports from the gate that, you know, the, you know, we were at capacity and that the artist sales were going really, really well. We had an artist on the back loop, which, you know, there's a lot of concern. Are people going to go to the back loop? Right. We had an artist on the back loop that sold out of everything, uh, including stock back in the van by 2 o'clock on Saturday, um, went mm-hmm. home, uh, made a four-hour drive home. Luckily, you know, she lived here in Texas. She restocked and came back, and she sold out again on Sunday. You know, I mean, we were just hearing great stories, and for us, that was, um, you guys had us scared, you know? Like, you you get that many phone calls, and, and you've really set the community on fire, and then, you know, you really worry, like, oh, my God, have we killed the show? Have we done the worst thing ever? You know, what have we done that has created this much of a crisis? Oh, God, please let people show up and buy art, you know. And then they did. So thank God. We had an artist who did over $200,000. We had an artist. We had a couple of artists who sold out. We had people who got commissions afterwards. I had an artist who came up to me, and he held his mortgage payment in front of me, and it was $63,000. And he said, guess what? I said, what? And he tore it up, and he said, I just paid off my house. That was probably the best thing that happened was just knowing that (laughs) after, after going through all of it, you know, as scary as it was for everyone, that it, you know, however it happened, by luck or by design or by, <laughs> you know, faith, um, it, you know, the, the artists were not were not only not hurt, but they had a great show. That was the best thing. Okay. Well, there you go. So um, let's have a little last word. What is your vision for this organization five years from now? I mean, I think the vision for the organization five years from now is to still is to be a viable organization, an organization that has grown, um, an organization that does have, you know, solid, you know, corporate partnerships and community partnerships, um, 
you know, that continues to give back to, um, you know, our community. We've given millions of dollars back in Houston. Um, and, you know, that tradition of, you know, supporting, you know, 19 other nonprofit arts organizations in Houston um, is, is really important to our core mission. And, um, you know, so making sure that we, we continue to um, not only support the independent artist, you know, give them a place to show and sell their wares in Houston, but to also then take that money and give it back to the community so that we're growing the next generation of either artists or buyers. Um, you know, develop the sponsorships that we know we need and want um, and and to work harder to build um, education initiatives. It's, it's really important to us. I, I think we're going to be the first, uh, one of the first organizations to offer a middle school scholarship um, program. Uh, a lot of people focus uh, at, on the very young and also on high school or college level artists. Um, and so we've kind of found a niche um, in middle school education, and that that is our partnership with Microsoft. So I think we're looking forward to seeing where that relationship goes and, you know, developing that, scholar, you know, that scholarship program. So well, I, I think I, those are yeah. five-year goals. I'm envious of your community and all of those growing, burgeoning, growing corporations and your possibilities for bringing in money to support this event so that you can make all the artists happy and keep your your organization going because what what a great what a great community this Houston is such a wonderful city that they need to have a really strong art fair and you know that is what all this outcry was about the artists want this show to do well they want to do well there they want it to be a model they're afraid that if you go certain step off the line, like Bob just said, that they're, it was going to slide away, but they, that is what it's all about, their fear that you're going to lead people down the wrong path, but it sounds like you probably won't. Good for you. Thank you so much. <laughs> so that's about it for now. I'd like to thank our guests, Susan and Kelly. Thank you for your time and your candor information that you were willing to share. I appreciate it very much. I want to thank everybody who's listened today. And going forward, you can continue this discussion at artfairinsiders.com, where we already have several conversations about Bayou City going on. After hearing this, tell us, will you be applying to the Bayou City art shows in the future? Let us know. Also, remember, it is Pledge Drive time. Will you please click on the birthday cake on any of our websites, artfaircalendar.com, artfairinsiders.com, artshowreviews.com, callsforartists.com, and send us some money. We have nearly $12,000 worth of prizes to give away to you, and we do not have 12,000 donors, so you are probably going to win something. can download this free podcast at iTunes in the podcast section and subscribe to it there also. Our next show will be on Tuesday, May 27th at 5 p.m. when I'll be talking with Scott Fox, and we'll be celebrating ArtFairInsiders.com birthday and drawing the names for the winners in the Pledge Drive. Next Tuesday, 5 p.m., listen and win. Maybe you'll win the tent. Maybe you'll win the mesh panels. Maybe you'll win the gift basket from Zingerman's. And maybe you'll win the free booth space someplace. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And really, Susan and Kelly, thanks. 
lots. I really appreciate it. Thank you Thank very you. much. We we really appreciate the opportunity to, you know, have this conversation with the artist and do follow up. And so we really yep. appreciate the service that you provide and we hope that you get a lot of pledges and that you're <laughs> going you. for a long time. Going strong. So thank you so much. Okay. Best wishes. See you in Houston. Bye bye. <laughs>